that story catapulted me into like, oh, I'm a serious blogger now. And I was not ready at all, which is why I tell people like, spend time getting ready. So when your moment comes, you're already ready. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today's episode is another one of those deep dives. I have marketer and author Brittany Hennessy in the guest chair, and we're going to talk about building your brand, growing your following, and leveraging influence. So we all know that social media has completely changed what's possible for all of us. From journalism to marketing, so much has changed about what we can do with our career. And one thing I love about social media is it allows you to cultivate your personal brand. And what that means to me is basically sharing content about yourself and your services or company and connecting with an interested audience. For some people, building their personal brand is a complete mystery, which I I get it. I understand that, that point of view. You know, there's the whole, what should I be doing? What should I care about? Is it about followers or engagement? Well, that's why I wanted to have Brittany in the guest chair. Brittany is a marketer and the author of Influencer, Building Your Brand in the Age of Social Media. She was the first ever senior director of influencer strategy and talent partnerships for Hearst Magazine's Digital Media and the co-founder of Carbon. Before reaching out to Brittany, I actually read her book and I found it extremely helpful. So I reached out to her after reading the book and saying like, hey, this was actually one of the better reads (laughs) on, actually the only read on influencer marketing that I've ever seen that really hit the marks and wasn't just glossing over things without giving you like real rates and real examples. And I found myself this year on the receiving end of more requests for brand collaborations, partnerships, and influencer posts than I ever had before. So the reason I wanted to learn more about this is because I wasn't really sure how to navigate it all. I wasn't expecting it. And I used the influencer book templates to confidently negotiate counter offers or decline opportunities that were not right for my business without burning a bridge. So as usual, when I discover something that I find useful, I want to share it with you guys. I think that anyone can benefit from Brittany's knowledge about influencer marketing, especially if you have plans to build out and monetize your personal brand or to ever work with another brand for any reason. For example, having them sponsor an event, a podcast, a blog, or if you are invited to speak on a panel, this will be the episode to consult. Before we jump into the show, just want to give a special thanks to Widow's Movie for supporting Side Hustle Pro. I don't think I've ever shared this with you guys, but one of the ways I stay creative is going to see movies. There's just something about the art form that just leaves me feeling so creative with all these new storytelling ideas in my mind. And one of my favorite, favorite actresses is Viola Davis. When I see Viola on screen, I just immediately feel empowered. I feel like standing up straighter, snatching off my own wig, and going out and kicking down some doors. So... I literally felt chills when I saw the trailer for this new movie, Widows, which comes out on November 16th. Widows is a modern day thriller. It's set against the backdrop of crime, passion, and corruption, and is from Academy Award winning director Steve McQueen, 
and co-writer and best-selling author of Gone Girl, Gillian Flynn. And Viola is playing, what else? A badass. The trailer tells me everything I need to know. What? A black woman with natural hair, kicking ass and taking names? Say no more. I am there. The film also stars Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, and Cynthia Erivo, and it arrives in theaters everywhere on November 16th. So grab your crew and let's go out in a pack to see Widows. Now, let's get into it. So welcome to the guest chair, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for blessing the guest chair. Now, I've just read your bio, but in your own words, especially since your bio has changed a bit, who is Brittany and what do you do? So I am, I guess I'm a marketing professional, if you will. And I spend a lot of time in the influencer marketing space for a long time, really working with brands, helping them find the right influencers and create campaigns. And now I'm a little bit more influencer centric, uh, especially since, you know, putting out my book, Influencer, Building Your Personal Brand in the Age of Social Media. So working a lot more now with influencers, helping them figure out how much to charge, how to grow their following, how to navigate this space. And I, I worked at Hearst for a long time and I've taken a lot of my learnings there and I'm bringing them to influencers because you can't really, you can't really tell influencers the truth when you're on a, a corporate dollar. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, you can. So now I, I can be a little more real with it. Oh, I see what you mean. I see what yeah, you mean. Yeah, you look yeah. at things like when people tell you how much they charge and I want to be like, you're not charging enough, but I can't. Because when somebody else is paying for it, you want the lowest possible price, even if you know someone is selling themselves short. So it was something, the the money chapter is my favorite chapter in the book, just being able to talk candidly about finance. Right. Mine too, mine too. And, you know, as I, I mentioned in the intro, what I love about your book and what I'm excited to talk about with you today is just the art of negotiation, understanding your value, understanding how to bring value. And it's something everyone can tap into. So some people might see this book and are like, oh, I'm not in the influencer world. But no, if you are ever planning to reach out to a brand for any reason, for collaboration, for sponsorship of an event, you need to understand this. So that is why I am emphatic about this. So (laughs) let's let's go back a little bit, though, you know, because this world didn't probably didn't exist when we were both growing up. So what was your initial career path? What did you study in undergrad? So I went to Rutgers University and I majored in journalism. And my mom wanted me to be an investigative journalist, but I told her I did not want to die. And so <laughs> I was not going to be pursuing that career path. But I really wanted to work in print and I wanted to write feature articles. For a long time, I really wanted to work for Rolling Stone and write like cover stories. And so when I graduated, it was right at the time where print was on the decline and everything was going digital. And if you didn't have digital experience, you couldn't get a job in digital. And so I, like many other people who graduated in 2007, did not have a job. And so I went to my first job out of college was at Abrams Artist Agency, and I worked in the on-camera commercials department. So even to this day, if I watch television commercials, I know who all the actors are. And 
that was a nice full circle moment because that's actually the agency that signed me for my book. So that's always fun when those things happen. Nice. Yeah. And so I worked there for a little over a year and then everyone kept telling me I should go to law school. So I did that for less than a year. I absolutely hated it. But I met my husband there. So, you know, time and money well spent. <laughs> and, and then, you know, I while I was at Abrams is when I I had a blog that actually went viral and was very popular. And I had a blog for maybe actively for for five years. And it was through that blog that I actually started learning about the world of influencer marketing, because I am one of my favorite stories to tell is I got to go to Germany as the North American ambassador for Nivea and hang out with Rihanna for three days on a cruise ship. I love this story. I just, I was, when I read that, I was like, what? Yeah. What made the blog go viral and like start to pick up steam? So, you know, I always like to say you should, you should create stuff as though people are reading it because you never know who is reading stuff. And I had a, a website and I just was posting, you know, I, I went to a lot of events and a lot of parties and just were posting things. And there was this uh, cocktail lounge that had opened and had a super secret menu. And I had gone to an event there and the menu was just there. So I just put it on my site. I was like, I don't know why everybody thinks this is such a secret. Here it is. And little did I know that the people who ran New York Magazine's Scrub Street read my blog. And so they linked to it. And it was in their newsletter. They were like posting about it. And my site had crashed and I had no idea why. And everybody was telling me like, you're on New York Magazine. And so that story really catapulted me into like, oh, I'm a serious blogger now. And I was not ready at all, which is why I tell people like spend time getting ready. So when your moment comes, you're already ready because then I was like, I need a new theme. I have to change my photos and have a proper bio. Like I had to like now frantically, like I wasn't posting on a regular basis. I had to frantically like get up to speed because I was doing it as a hobby. And, and all of a sudden people thought this was like my real job. And so I had to really, you know, step into it. And, and so I, I did that for a while and the Nivea thing, I really learned a lot about influencer marketing. And then, you know, I started looking more into jobs in social media because I was like, I'm definitely not going to work in journalism at this point. Like journalism is struggling. I like this whole Facebook, Twitter thing. So let me see what opportunities are there. So I did like a lot of consulting for friend brands, family brands, places that I had worked like restaurants and nightclubs and doing a lot of their social media. And then I got a call from a friend who I knew from my blogging days to go work at Horizon. And that was my first big influencer marketing job. And I led the team with her there and did, you know, lots of entertainment and food. And, you know, we did Travel Channel, Food Network, all the lifetime. And then from there, somebody I met on my trip to Germany, she worked at Hearst and she got me my job there. Okay. And then that's where I did, you know, 17, Cosmo, Esquire, all of the big <laughs> brands, every fashion brand, every beauty brand, every fitness brand, which is great. But, you know, looking back, everything that I've done, there was a person there who was connected to something I had done before. And so really keeping in touch with people has been, I think, the most rewarding 
thing for me because that's how I've gotten all my opportunities from from keeping in touch. Yeah, from you know people I knew from past projects. Now, tell us a little bit before we move into the Hearst era. You talked about lessons that you really picked up on that Nivea assignment. What were some of the lessons you started to pick up and what did you notice about this whole influencer life, which was really just starting to become a thing? I think people had no idea what was going on. (laughs) I think, you know, a lot of it was really just throwing something at the wall and seeing what sticks. But you really learn that being somewhere early and being like one of the first is is really important. And I think you know, that you see that a lot with the people who have millions of followers on YouTube or Instagram. A lot of these people were early adopters. And so when something is new, you know, a lot of people's first reaction is to shy away from it. I don't understand this. Do I need this? But the people who really excel are the people who are like, this is new. This is exciting. Let me jump on it and be first. So that's one of them. And then two really is just to let people know that you're open for new opportunities because my blog was like very local. And I was on a trip with, you know, some other people who were from very large websites that I had heard of major websites, but we were on this trip together because the people who booked me said no less than five people told them, if you're doing this trip, you have to send Brittany. Mm. And they told me, they're like, your name came across our desk so many times we could not send you. And so I think that's really important that not only do you advocate for yourself, but you let people know it's okay to advocate on your behalf, which is how you get a lot of opportunities is from referrals. All right. So now let's talk about that transition to Hearst. So did you stop blogging or were you side hustling? And, and, you know, why that company specifically? So I had stopped blogging. I would say I probably stopped towards the like 2010, 2011. And that's because I got married, you know, and my blog was really about nightlife and running the streets and (laughs) being single. Yeah. And then I like, you know, found my other half and we did, we went to a lot of things together for a long time, but you know, nightlife is also something that you age out of when you look around and like everybody in the room is like 18 years old. You're like, I'm too old to be here. I'm grandma. Even if you're only, you know, 25. So I definitely was starting to age out. I I needed a job that had health insurance. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you need all the things that you, you want as you get older and Hearst was big for me because there were a few things. One, I knew at some point I wanted to write a book. I just wasn't sure necessarily what on because this book could have easily been a book for brands, but that's not the way it turned out. It ended up being a book for influencers. But I knew part of what I needed to do to bring my career to the next level was I needed to work on bigger brands and more of them. And so when you get to a place like Hearst, that's a legacy company. And so, you know, just the titles I worked on, 17, Cosmo, Esquire, Harper's Bazaar, those are brands that everybody knows. And then the people who were advertising, you know, on their website and on their social media channels, it's pretty much every brand you've ever heard of in your life. And so in the two years that I was there, I think I've worked on almost every major fashion and beauty brand, which is a big deal and an opportunity that you don't really get somewhere else. But since I, you know, worked on 25 digital brands, I really had an opportunity to work with a lot of companies. And that was always the goal to work with a lot of brands, taking a lot of information and really set myself up 
to be an authority in the space so that my book would have some real meat to it, which is what happened. And did you, you were the first ever senior director of influencer strategy and talent partnerships. What went into the creation of that role? Was that just something that you saw online and it was already created, but they were looking for the right person or while you were there, did your job title shift? So it's, it's a little bit of both at horizon. I also was the first So it was my boss's director and I was associate director. We were the first people to have those titles at Horizon. So we built the influencer team from scratch. And then at Hearst, I think the individual editors were booking their own talent, but they quickly realized that this is a full-time job. One, because you need to know the whole world of influencers. You need to constantly be looking for new YouTubers, new Instagrammers, like which is the new blogger. And then you need to know like who signed with what agency and what brands has she just done. So as influencer marketing grew in scope, it really became too big for people to handle a piece of it. And then you have to, you know, there's a lot of contracts and exclusivity involved. So You know, you could have an editor working on one project and she books an influencer and an editor working on another project and she books the same influencer. And in really large companies, it's hard for everyone to talk to everyone all the time. And so you could end up in some pretty sticky situations if somebody is not spearheading the entire project. And I think that's they really were looking for. And, you know, a lot of people don't like dealing with influencers. (laughs) So I think what really happened is the editors were like, We like writing. We like building stories. We don't want to do this part anymore. So you guys need to find someone to do it. And we're going to get into that. The do's and don'ts for influencers and for brands. But before I wanted to know, you know, there's so much variability within it, right? Like there are people with different size followings, different audiences and niches. And were you able to kind of create the rule book, so to speak, of like, here's how you approach it by range of followers or and kind of start to put some value around what people are worth. Yeah, I think that's one of the the benefits of being, you know, somebody who's very early on in an industry. It's you do get to set some of those rules and parameters. And, you know, I was the person at Hearst who figured out what size following is good for each brand and what's a good engagement rate and how much are people worth to, for us to shoot them and what are we willing to trade? And we really are setting those rules because when I started there two years ago, influencer marketing like had even less structure than it has now. And it's, it's developing as an industry, but it still has a long way to go because, you know, the rules on Instagram are different than the rules on YouTube. And if you look at like Pinterest or Twitter or Facebook, that's a completely different arena. And then there's always new stuff. Then there was Snapchat and Musical.ly. And so, you know, there are so many different platforms and it's constantly figuring out what does success look like on every platform? Who are the best influencers that can tell a story on that particular platform? How do you work with them and how much should you pay them? And, you know, with every new brand and and every new platform and even every new set of influencers that come along, those are things you have to reevaluate and sometimes redesign. So it was a lot of figuring things out. And since I was the only person who had that job, it's a building full of people who are looking to me for those answers. And it's, it's a lot, but it was very rewarding. 
I know that must have been so fun too, to shape a role and to leave a legacy. Yeah, that's actually my favorite part. I can <laughs> ever say that I was the first, yes. <laughs> which, is, which is nice. It's, it is. It's a really nice thing to have at like a really big company. There's, you know, very few times where you can leave a mark like that on a company. Right, of that size. So now let's talk a little bit about the do's and don'ts of influencer marketing and just overall how to work with brands. So let's take the influencer side for, for a bit or just, you know, the business, small business, entrepreneur. Let's start with the groundwork. So how do you even get into the space of having brands notice you? What should you have in place? Tell us the framework. Sure. So I think, you know, everybody needs a website. I'm still amazed by people who don't have websites. It's 2018. I don't know how they got away with not having a domain, but you need a website. It doesn't matter if your website has a ton of pages or one page. It needs to be like a central place where people can find out who you are, what you look like, what do you do? How can they work with you? All of these things need to be in place. And most importantly, like how can they contact you? Because I've seen websites where I want to book people and there's no contact information on them. And I don't know how you build a whole site and forget that the most important thing. <laughs> people, people, people do it, you know, where they have contact forms that don't work or email addresses that are misspelled or hyperlinks that don't actually go anywhere. Like these are all things that, you know, people do to make it really hard to give them money. And rule number one is never make it hard for people to give you money. <laughs> you know, people, people tend to forget that rule a lot. And on Instagram, you know, that's another place where it's like, have a, a bio that is an accurate description of who you are. Have a photo where people can see your face because people like to know who they're connecting with. And then put your contact information in your bio. Because people don't realize Instagram on the desktop, which most people don't use. Almost everybody who uses Instagram uses it on their phone, but they don't realize that people who book influencers or talent for a living, we use Instagram on the computer. And it's a different experience. Indeed. You know, your book was the first place that pointed that out to me. I was like, I have the email button. Why? What are people <laughs> talking about? They can't find my email. I have the That's IG. Right. So, yes, your book was the first place that, you know, gave me that light bulb moment. Now, a lot of people have these these ingredients in place. They're putting up the website with some WordPress themes. They got their Instagram layout going. <laughs> um, how, are, how are people standing out these days? Like, I feel like everyone, once something works, everyone catches on to it and they use the same filters, everyone starts copying each other. Yes. I think now the real, you know, as with other places in the industry where you're using a lot of content, the focus is really on storytelling people. The way to stand out now is to be able to write a story because you see a lot of influencers cannot string together a sentence. It's just emojis. It's emojis and like, you know, strange questions. And if you're a brand and you're paying someone a lot of money, you need them to be able to tell a story. And you can't just say like, I really like this shampoo and conditioner. It makes my hair shiny. Like that's influencer marketing level one. And we have moved past that. Then you're really looking at people who can talk about hair health and like, you know, how hair health starts at the scalp. And you really need people who can educate the audience and weave in your product. And I think 
that's something that we did a lot at Hearst, and I think successful content creators do this, which is if you remove the advertiser from the content, does it still make sense? And for a lot of people, the answer to that is no, because what they write is so it's such an advertisement that if you got rid of it, you'd be like, what is this post even about? And so really you're looking for people who can tell a story and weave in a product. That's such a good point because I follow people and sometimes it's like, wait, what? Scroll. <laughs> like, this is just an ad. This doesn't even make sense. Um, right. But when you tell a story, I get hooked. And then at the very end, I see the ad and I, I don't even care. I don't care because it makes sense. It felt like native to you, a product that you actually used. And the story was interesting and you captivated me. That's the whole thing. Like people don't care if something is an advertisement if it's good. The only time people get angry with advertisements is if they're random or if they're weird or if they're off brand or if they're just the brand, you know, integration is just so heavy. Only when it's done poorly do people care okay. because they know you're going to give them ads. Like right. if this is your full time job or you're trying to make it your full time job, you have to do sponsored posts. Yeah. Like that's how you're going to make money so you can quit your other job. And so your audience expects it but they want it to be done well since they now have to sit through an advertisement. And right. sometimes creators take shortcuts and that is the place where you should not take a shortcut. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the part that interests me, because obviously I don't consider myself an influencer. That's not the lane I'm trying to go down. Um, but I do work with brands on campaigns for um, my podcast. And then some of those brands are interested in gaining social media visibility. So it's always interesting to me to put a value on something like followers or engagement rate. And, you know, from your mind and your lens, What's most important to a brand? Is it engagement rate? Is it follower size? And how do you evaluate what a personal brand is worth? Really, what brands care about is, are you going to move product? And so, you know, when they're hiring an influencer, you end up in two it's a two pronged approach. We're either looking at brand awareness, which is when they just they need people to know that something is available. There's a new lipstick. There's a new you know, item of clothing, there's some sale. They need people to know something is happening. And then the second level is they need people to buy that thing. And, you know, if it's strictly brand awareness, that's what we're looking at, at how many followers do you have? And not just how many followers though, like that's where engagement comes in. Because if you have a million followers, but you have a very low engagement rate, somebody who's much smaller than you, but has a high engagement rate, you're going to reach the same number of people and they're going to cost a lot less than you do. So that's something that brands are looking for. But if you're a very large influencer, you have something else, which is name and facial recognition, which is also very important because a lot of what happens when you work on a campaign is the brand can reuse your content. And so if you are a very recognizable influencer, and they take your Instagram posts and put it on their feed or on their website or in their store, people who walk by and know who you are, there's value there. Whether your engagement rate is 0% or 20%. And so it really depends on the level of your influence. And then you get other factors thrown in. And then, you know, also, do you just have a lot of followers or do you have a community? Like, does your audience care about what you're saying when you recommend something? Do they trust you? Do they buy it? 
And then like, how good is your content? Like, is it professionally done or does it look like your toddler took this with a flip phone? So, <laughs> you know, these are, these are all of the things you're looking for. And the weight of each really is dependent on the KPIs. So sometimes you hire a bunch of influencers just because you need content for something. And then it's less about follower counter engagement rate and more about who's going to give you the most beautiful photos. And so that's the focus, or it's something that's also going to live in a store or is part of a larger media campaign. And so it's more about who has the most recognizable face. So it really depends on what the client's goals are. And then that's how you figure out which influencer is right and what is important about that influencer. Hey guys, it's Nikayla here with a quick word from our sponsors. This episode of Side Hustle Pro is brought to you by Widows, the movie. Widows is a modern day thriller set against the backdrop of crime, passion, and corruption from Academy Award winning director Steve McQueen and co-writer and best-selling author of Gone Girl, Gillian Flynn. Set in contemporary Chicago amidst a time of turmoil, four women with nothing in common except a debt left behind by their dead husband's criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to forge a future on their own terms. The film stars Viola Davis, Michelle Rodriguez, Elizabeth Debicki, Cynthia Erivo, Colin Farrell, Brian Tyree Henry, Daniel Kaluuya, Robert Duvall, and Liam Neeson. And it arrives in theaters everywhere on November 16th. I don't know about y'all, but I know exactly where I'll be on November 16th in the theater watching Widows. Okay. I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now, Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. And how do you, if I'm an individual and I want to approach brands, I see they're working with these other awesome podcasters or other awesome people. How do you recommend, again, the do's and don'ts of influencer marketing? What are the do's of approaching brands and what are some of the don'ts? I mean, spell their name right. (laughs) Of course. Lots of times I would get emails where my name was spelled completely wrong or it was addressed to somebody who was not me. And I'm like, who, who is, who even is this person? So, you know, that's, that's easily number one. Number two is like, get the publication right. I would always get emails that are like, we'd love to pitch this person for Teen Vogue. I'm like, well, you should call Condé Nast because I work at Hearst and we don't have Teen Vogue. We have 17. (laughs) And so those basic things show that you're valuing speed over accuracy, which means you will do the same thing once we are partners and you are going to make mistakes. And so 
you don't have to move so fast. Spelling the name right, the company right, actually understanding what it is that the person does. Like, are you even talking to the right person? I think before you draft your first email, there's a lot of research that goes into that to make sure you're at the right place, talking to the right person who can do the thing you need them to do. Because I would get all sorts of emails about like, can we get editorial coverage for this? And I'm like, but I don't work on the editorial team. I book people for branded content. Like you should know that that's what it says on my LinkedIn, which is where you found me. And so, you know, those sorts of things not only are time wasters, but it makes people not want to work with you because you don't do your research. So definitely doing your research, spelling everything properly, making it like a personalized email. It's the same as when you're applying for a job. You can't just copy and paste the same thing and just send it to a hundred people because people know that. And, you know, the easier it is for me to understand what you want me to do and how I can go about helping you, the more likely it is that I'll actually do what you want me to do because nobody wants to do difficult things. Mm -hmm. So when you have limited time at work, if someone's like, can you, I just need X, Y, and Z. And it's very clear. Then it's very easy for you to do those things. But if I have to like read a super long email and download something and click six links to find out what you even want, that is how you get put in the read later <laughs> or just archived or just, yeah, or just archived. Yeah. Like I can't even deal with it. And then, you know, so I think what people should do is send the type of letter you would want to get. And that's the easiest way. And I think when you put it in those terms, people are always like, Oh yeah, I got this. Like write a letter and send it to yourself and see like how you feel when you get it. And you might look at it and be like, this is not very good. And right. so that's that's really what you want to do. That was helpful, I think. Um, and that reminds me of some of the emails I get to from men who are like, oh, I would love to be on the podcast. I've been a listener since the start. I'm like, do you really listen? <laughs> do you notice a common thread with the guests then? Um, and uh, this brings us to the value piece. So I'm zeroing in on sponsorship over the last two years. I love, you know, learning from different people, seeing how different people approach it. I myself have my way of approaching podcast sponsorship and I teach my students this. And it's a little bit easier because, you know, we go by CPM and all this stuff in podcasting. But then when it comes to things that are a little bit more um, loose, it can be hard to put a value on yourself. So are there resources or guidelines that, people can use to, you know, like divide a number of followers by a thousand and then add X percentage for time. <laughs> and you do do kind of a breakdown in the book where you're like, you know, think about how much time it will take you to create a post and, you know, how much this and that. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it is how long does a full project take? And I think, you know, especially when you look at people creating content, Lots of times the pricing you get is just how much it costs to post something on a feed. And I always thought that was strange because it completely discounts all of the other work that went to getting there. Yeah. Searching the brand. And if you've got a shop, if you've got to research, if you're doing a podcast, you spend time researching your guests. Like these are all things that take time and effort, which means these are all things that cost money. And so really looking at a project from a holistic standpoint and saying, what are all the steps that go into this? How long does each piece take? How much is each piece work? And then coming to a final number. And then I think when you come to that number, a lot, it's a lot higher than a lot of people 
think. And when you're asked to defend that number, it's easier to do because you understand how you got to that number. Because the biggest mistake people make is throwing out a number and then you ask them to defend it and they can't. And it's like, oh, so you just picked a number hoping I would say yes to it. That's not great. And so, and you know, people get really lucky with that because, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So you might just throw out a number and people are like, okay. And then you think that's an acceptable way to operate. And it's really not, especially because people are getting much savvier and we have so many more tools where we really can say, well, why should we give you this much? You have X number of followers, but you're only going to get X number of impressions. Yeah. So then you need to come back with the, well, the photo quality of my work has also been featured in major magazines and it's like very high level. And if I was a creative agency, it wouldn't even matter how many impressions you were getting because you're hiring me to create content. Like you have to have these arguments ready and you have to understand like, why you're worth what you're saying you're worth. And so I think people need to do a little bit more work into why are they charging these numbers? Can we talk numbers for a little bit? So I think brands do the same thing too, where they don't really have (laughs) any kind of rhyme or reason. They'll just throw something at you like, oh, we'll give you a thousand dollars to do two posts. What does that mean? (laughs) Did you offer this to everybody, even people with less followers? Like what, you know, how are you coming across this? Yeah, I think it works on both ends. I think in terms of pricing, unless you spend, unless you book a lot of people and really get a strong sense of how the pricing is working, it's difficult to figure out. And I'm lucky because I've booked teenage influencers and like influencers who are over 50, male influencers, female influencers, beauty, fashion, fitness. So I can see how, I can see what all the different areas are charging and then come to something that's like, in the middle and like understanding which type of people get like a little bump up, which type of people get a little bump down from like the average number. But for most people, they don't have that sort of, you know, they don't have that many data points to draw from. So they're really lots of times brands, just like influencers are guessing, which is crazy because you can't guess for these sorts yeah. of things. <laughs> but you have to, if no one provides a framework. And everybody, I know everybody's always so secretive about the numbers, which yeah. is why in the book, I just put a chart. I was like, here is a chart. Everyone, please use this chart so we can all get on the same page and all be within the same range because that's a range of what is fair. Of course, people will make outside of that range or a little bit below that range based on, you know, some of the things we've talked about. But there has to be some sort of common ground or some sort of shared knowledge that we're like, if you have X number of followers and you're going to do these three things, this is the general realm we're living in. Because prior to that, it's like, is this worth $500 or $5,000? And people wouldn't know. And you can't do business like that. So I think, you know, part of it is, is really sharing. And with money, people don't like to talk about money. So if there are no conversations about something, how are we supposed to figure out what's fair. And so that's why that was one of my key points in the book is just putting out here is a chart and here are some numbers. And if you are a brand, (laughs) now let's talk about some of the do's and don'ts. If you are a small business wanting to work with influencers to grow your brand, let's say you have um, a e-commerce boutique and you have clothes that you want to get or handbags that you want to get in the hands of the movers and shakers. Are there certain do's and don'ts of approaching people that will, you know, result in more success and more fruitful partnerships? 
Sure. I think one of the main things brands need to evaluate before they reach out to influencers is they really need to know who their brand is and who is their audience. Because lots of times you have brands, and this is the example I always use, you have brands who are more Target but think they're more Bloomingdale's. And there is nothing wrong with Target. So people should not be ashamed. Exactly. Target is the bomb. (laughs) But, you know, they'll have a certain aesthetic and they'll just reach out to all these influencers who they like, but are not on brand for them at all. And it's like you have to you have to have a realistic conversation with yourself about who's my target consumer and what does that influencer look like? So you need to do that first. Then you also need to make sure like your Instagram and your website are together because plenty of brands reach out to influencers and like they haven't posted in two months. Their content is terrible. Like, they don't really have a bio. It's like if I'm an influencer and I do a partnership with you, I'm going to tag you in my Instagram post, which means my followers are going to go over to your page and see what I'm co-signing. Your page can't be a disaster. And a lot of brands are not ready, but they're just doing influencer partnerships because they think it's what they need to do. But you just like an influencer needs to be ready when they reach out to a brand, a brand needs to be ready when they reach out to an influencer. And that's making sure your content is great, you know, and really also just knowing what do you want an influencer to do? Do you want her to create content? Do you want her to like drive sales using an affiliate link? Do you want her to make some videos for you? Like, Lots of times the influencers say, oh, well, what did you have in mind? Brands have no idea. Mm -hmm. You have to have some sort of idea. And then you have to make the partnership worthwhile. I'm a firm believer that if you're going to ask people to do work, you have to pay them. Every brand can't pay, you know, depending on where they're at in their business. But then you need to have something worthwhile for the influencer. It needs to be that you're going to send her on a trip, that she's going to get, you know, an item for free. But it can't be like, we'll give you a $12 lipstick for free. She can buy her own $12. (laughs) Exactly. Not a good dream. You know, but I always say like if Chanel calls and they want to give you a $12,000 bag in exchange for an Instagram post, plenty of people would take that deal because that's worth it. And so, you know, you have to make sure you have to show that you're respectful of their time and their craft. And I think a lot of brands reach out to influencers like it's a necessary evil and influencers can see that they can hear that they can smell that. And then brands wonder why the response they got is not what they wanted. Like you have to treat them like, you know, worthy partners. And that's the best mindset when mm-hmm. reaching out to influencers. And, you know, I also speaking as someone who has gotten some free product offers. And if that's not in my lane again, like I do not think of myself as an influencer per se. Like that's not a knock. It's just I know that I'm not going to spend time to make my Instagram feed color coordinated anymore. <laughs> like I might I, I try to spread out my side hustle pro promo post and that's it. That's all you get from me. But um, <laughs> um, when people approach you with products or books or anything, it's a it's a little bit of pressure. It's like. Yes, it's free, but now do you expect me to then create content with this? And growing up, my mom always told me not to take stuff from people for free. <laughs> so I can't get out of that mentality. It's like I nothing is free, right? Um, so I think brands should understand that as well and not be offended if someone is not in the mental space to create some content around their free product that they're offering. That's right. Plenty of people just send stuff. It's like, oh, you sent me all this jewelry. You didn't notice that I never wear jewelry. <laughs> it's like, I'm not interested in this. 
And so, you know, I think, I think racked did like a whole art, a series on this. It just was people showing like beauty editors showing how much product they get every day. And they're like, we didn't ask for any of this. We don't want any of this. And so, you know, brands really, they, they, they do the fire hydrant uh, mode, which is they just spray everything and hope Mm -hmm. something's okay. When really on the brand side, you also have to do your research and make sure like, you know, has an influencer used a competing product, then that means she might be interested in yours. Like everybody just needs to do a little more research. And it's Mm -hmm. hard because when you're doing digital, especially social, everything moves so fast and everything needs to be done last week that people are not taking the time and effort necessary to do research and make actual relationships, both on the brand side and the influencer side. But if this is going to work and be rewarding for both parties, you have to make those two things a priority. And hopefully, you know, people are really starting to understand that usually after wasting a lot of time or wasting a lot of money, but hopefully we get to a place where people know that you have to put in the work if you want a successful partnership. Exactly. Now let's transition to just talking a bit more about your entrepreneur life. So you were with Hearst and now you are fully out on your own. Your side hustle became your main hustle. Mm -hmm. What was that process like? What went into the decision to do this full time? I think uh, part of it was I had gone on vacation. I wouldn't call it a vacation because I was promoting my book. So it was not a vacation, but I was doing a lot of work in the influencer space and really getting to work with a lot of brands and a lot of people and do like podcasts and TV shows. And I really was enjoying like spending more time on, on this end, the educational end. And really during that time, I got to spend so much more time with my husband because he also works from home. Oh, I know that feeling. (laughs) Yeah. And then it was like, wait, we're like having lunch together. We can go take a walk. You know, I got to drop my son off at school and not feel rough. And so all of these things were really pushing me to, you know, the goal was always to get to a place where I could work for myself. And, you know, because the biggest freedom is, you know, having freedom of how you spend your time and commuting is, is not the life. And, you know, being held to other people's timelines is not best use of my time. So, you know, really just figuring out like, how can we do more of this? And I always knew like writing the book was going to be the catalyst for how those other things got put in motion. And did you have kind of a window into how to write a book from just being in a publishing arm and your journalism background, or was it a completely new process and you, you know, you just went about it through Google research? (laughs) No, I mean, you don't really know how to write a book. When you sit down to write a book, especially about something like this, your first thought is what could I possibly like write about? Like you think like, oh, you think of so many things and you're like, well, people know that. Well, people know that. And then you realize like, no, you know this because this has been your everyday for years. Simple things like we're on a desktop, we cannot see your email. These are things people don't know. And so I really had to get in a mindset of, no, talk to people as if they don't know anything. And then that's when it just, it started to, to flow. And really the book is written exactly how I speak. So it really was just figuring out how do we break it up? What are, what are the pillars? What are the sections? Who do we want to feature in the book? And really just writing for hours. (laughs) And then how did you go about reconnecting with Abrams? So that's actually really interesting. I, 
I had reached out to a bunch of friends who, you know, had influencers that I wanted to put into the book and Jade Sherman, who's featured in the book um, a lot. She has a lot of expert tips. I told her, I said, Hey, you know, she represents Tenny Panosian, who's one of the influencer icons. And I said, I want to feature Tenny in my, I'm writing a book. I want to feature Tenny in it. You think she'd do it? And she was like, yeah, you should send me the proposal. Let me look at it. And I said, okay. So I sent it to her. She looked at it and she said, do you mind if I send this to our literary team? And I was like, of course, send away. And so she sent it to them and the head of the literary team, who is my agent, he loved it. And we met and we talked and he said, you know, I, I want to pitch this book and you should sign with us. And it was great because it's somewhere that I had worked for a long time and, I, and it's all the same people still there. And so that's how I, I picked up an agent. And then, you know, the agent really is in charge of pitching your book and getting people to be on board with it. And pitching is, you know, like anything else, like not everybody's going to get your vision. Working in publishing is very difficult because it's very old school. It's, it's print, it's books, it's mm-hmm. a little different. And a lot of people receiving the pitch were like, not that many people want to be influencers. Like some of it was like, I understand how you could write a magazine article on this topic, but I don't know how you could write a whole book on it. It was a lot of people who didn't really understand like what this market was what could be learned and how many people are trying to pursue this path. And so I ended up with Kensington, which who is my publisher and they, they understood it. They, they got it and they thought it was a good idea. And, you know, whenever you have a partner and your agent is your partner and your publisher is your partner, it's always good to make sure that they are in alignment with what you're trying to do. Cause I really didn't want this book to be like a mean book. I didn't want it to be a snarky book. I didn't want it to be dry or textbook like, and all the parties involved made sure that the book ended up being what I wanted to be, which is conversational, lighthearted, but very informative. Mm -hmm. You definitely have to make sure you pick your partners wisely because with a different publisher, this book probably could have gone in a very different direction and may not have helped as many people as it's helped. So now when did you start carbon along this path and what is the business model of carbon? So I have two, two different things. One is a technology company that I co-founded with my husband and we're actually building quite a few solutions for influencers because we've learned that, you know, especially like we've learned with this book is a lot of people are building things for brands, but there's an entire other side of the industry, the influencer side, and they need books and they need resources and they need apps and, you know, they need all sorts of things because they're also doing work. So we're making quite a few things for influencers that will roll out sometime this year. And then I also started Carbon Consulting, which is my most recent venture, which is where influencers and small businesses and even some larger brands can book strategy sessions where you can get more in-depth information from me about how to build your following and just have someone with my experience look at your Instagram, your blog, your press kit. You can tell me I had a session today and the influencer told me how much she was charging. And I was like, you need to charge like eight times that, (laughs) (laughs) like, you know, just those sorts of conversations, because it's one thing to read a book. I really wanted something that was accessible to everybody. So like for $10, you can get access to my brain on, (laughs) on Amazon and get like a, a bird's eye view. 
but there are plenty of people who wanted more information personalized for them. And so that's why I decided to do, you know, strategy sessions with people to help people get to the next level and really, you know, a lot of people want this to be their full-time job because it's their passion and they want financial freedom. They want more freedom with their time to travel, to spend time with their spouse, with their kids. And so, you know, I have all this knowledge and all this information that I, and all this, you know, all these tools that I've learned from, I think almost 10 years doing influencer marketing. And I figure this is a great way to share it with people. I, I love that. Yeah. And it's it's so accessible. I mean, it's definitely, you know, something that some people might have to budget for. But at the same time, now, you know, that there's a place and a resource that you can go when there's so many people who don't talk about it. And at the same time, you'll have people say, don't undervalue yourself. It messes up. It messes it up for everyone else. Well, okay. well, tell me what you're charging then. (laughs) And then we can all win. Um, When did you realize this idea was something that was worth betting on and you were going to go for it full time? I think, you know, a lot of people just kept writing me and they're like, do you do private consulting? Can you coach me? (laughs) So I was like, let's see if, let me build this. Let me put it out there and let's see what happens. And the response has been great. And, you know, that's always what happens too. you. Whenever you're doing something, you always need to figure out like, what's the next step. And Mm -hmm. from writing the book, the next step was, okay, and in an ideal world, I would start consulting after this because then you get to work on projects that you want to work on. You get to give people honest feedback because people know you should not book a session with me if you want me to say 100% nice things. Like, I'm here to tell you what's wrong with what you're, I'm going to tell you what you're doing right, but I'm also going to tell you what you're doing wrong and how to fix it. And so, you know, after writing the book, I knew that's what I wanted to do next. So it makes me very happy that this was a step and I've I've been validated. Like this is something that people want and people think is, is very valuable, which is great because now I get to spend my time helping people become brands, which is, which is great. Yes. I love it. You know, it also just reminds me that it, it can be weird in this 2018 world when you have a specialty, you've decided to go full force on it. This is your job. And when you describe it to people, there's some people who are like, oh, interesting. <laughs> like, oh, you're an influencer consultant. OK, does that ever happen to you or did you ever have any, you know, self-consciousness around making this your full time thing? I mean, I don't have self-consciousness about it because I know this is a thing, but plenty of people like have no idea. They're still like, why, why do these girls have millions of followers? Uh People care what she thinks. And it's just like, you know, it's either something, you know, it's the same thing. It's like people who love the radio are like, why would I watch something on television? And Mm -hmm. people who love television, you know, and like print to digital and people are like, why do I need a Facebook page? Anything new people are always like, is this necessary? What is the point of this? Yeah. And then there are a bunch of people who are, who see something and see opportunity. And, you know, it's, it's very rare that you can get in at the beginning of something. And I was lucky enough to be in the right place at the right time and to make the, you know, have a good strategy where I got in at the very beginning of influencer marketing and then was able to write like the first major book on the subject for influencers and now making all these companies and doing all this consulting. A lot of the stuff I'm doing is the first and I have the first person to have the job at multiple places. So I've had a lot of firsts, which 
you know, is difficult because lots of times there's no roadmap for what you're trying to do because nobody's done it before you. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you get to make the industry you want to see, which is so cool. And, you know, being a woman and being a woman of color, like it's it's nice to be someone that other people can see and say, one, like I can have that type of job because people come to me all the time and they're like, I didn't even know what you do as a job. Like I can do this. And I'm right. Like, yeah, this right. Yeah. No. So that's great for like a number of people and really just making sure that like lots of different people are represented, which I had the power to do for many years because I was casting the faces that were going to be in these campaigns. Yes. And the reason why I'm so I'm proud of you, I'm inspired and motivated and I want people to see you, you know, and and know about you is because it would be so easy for some major brand to do a white paper on this or a management consulting firm to go and dig deeper into this world. But no, we did it. You did it. We now have our name on this as being one of the first true pieces of study about this whole world of influencer marketing and not just like the flowery, like overall what it is, but no, like this is, this is how people are pricing. This is how it works. These are exact emails that you can send. Um, I think it's brilliant. So go girl. (laughs) (laughs) Now what's next? Where do you see yourself a year from now? Not five, just like one year. Just one year, I think I'll probably, I'm going to do, I'm still going to do influencer stuff because I love it, but I think I also want to do a lot of stuff in the mom community. Oh, interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm a modern mom and I think there's definitely a shortage of, of resources for moms like me. So I think maybe I'll do a second book on like how to be a mom or like how everyone's talking about having it all. <laughs> what does that look like for me? Cause I think people really like the conclusion of my book and the conclusion of my book was really about my career, how I met my husband. And some people were like, this was my favorite part of the book. And I'm like, that part of the book has nothing to do with being, <laughs> <laughs> right. but people really just, they liked, they liked my stories and they liked the way that I told them. So I feel like there might be room for something that's a little more, like that so that's that's what I'm toying with and that's what might what you might see next year all right well I'm looking forward to that and you know like I said I totally relate to also having a husband who works from home is an entrepreneur and and uh being in this world together and starting things together so I definitely will tune into a fellow couple like that (laughs) (laughs) now let's get into the lightning round really quick you just answer the first thing that comes to mind are you ready Yes. Okay. Number one, what is a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Oh, resource that has helped me. Oh, I like Calendly. Oh, me too. (laughs) That's my new thing. That's how like I book all my sessions. Like people can book time with you. And then if there's payment involved, you can integrate PayPal and Stripe. And then when they book a session with you, it just pops up on your calendar. It's amazing. Love it. Okay. Number two, what's the best business book besides yours or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? Ooh, best business book or podcast. My mentor, Carrie Kirpin, she has like a podcast called uh, All the Social Ladies. And it's interviews with digital women in digital across all sorts of major brands. And so it's really good. She's got everybody. Okay, number three, who is a Black woman entrepreneur that you would want to trade places with for a day and why? 
I mean, is is it? Do I have to? Are you saying like it can't be Oprah? Because obviously, <laughs> the answer to that question is always Oprah. It's always Oprah. I feel like but I need to put Oprah, a other than Oprah. Pick, um, okay. <laughs> I would pick this uh, this woman. Her name's Alicia, and she works at Google. She's, I think, their their executive. She's like the head of their diversity program and she worked for Barack Obama and she started Ween, the Women's Entertainment Entrepreneur Network, which is for young girls. I booked her for an influencer campaign. She's just so smart. Her bio is just crazy. And she's V-A-L-E-I-S-H-A on Instagram. And she's so inspiring. So I think Mm. I might have to pick her because she's super cool. Okay. Um, Number four, what is a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Sleeping. People, they say like a lot of entrepreneurs, like don't sleep a lot. And no, sleeping is key. I can't do anything if I have not slept properly. So I am team. I will take a nap in the middle of the day. (laughs) I love it. And finally, 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 what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss but are worried about losing that steady paycheck. You know, it's one of those things where you you need to plan because not having enough money is a real thing. And so if this is something you want to do, you need to start figuring out what is your, as your side hustle becomes your main hustle, what's your new side hustle? Because you're going to need income. And so I think if you plan, you plan. And then when you can plan no more, you have to jump and see how it works you know, and, and just make sure you don't burn bridges, make sure you keep, you know, your connections open just in case you need to pick up like a job for a few months, or you need to pop back into the workplace because we have bills and mortgages are not cheap and childcare is not cheap. So, you know, make sure you have a plan B, but, you know, definitely push hard for plan A. And I think lots of people, they don't push hard enough. They see something and they kind of want to do it and they're half doing it. So if you want something to work, Halfing it cannot be what you do. You've got to go all in and and just shoot for it. And most of the time you'll succeed, especially if you did your research. All right. What a perfect note to end on. So with that, what's the best way for people to connect with you after this episode? You can find me on Instagram. I'm Mrs. MRS Brittany Hennessy. And I'm on all the other social networks too, but Instagram is quickly becoming my favorite. All right. And guys, I will link to Brittany's book, Influencer, her social handle and website all in the show notes so you can find her. And there you have it. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to SideHustlePro.co forward slash Side Hustle Corner to get my weekly Side Hustle Diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at Side Hustle Pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the Side Hustle Pro Facebook community. Go to SideHustlePro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you.